Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, we welcome back filmmaker Tim O'Donnell to talk about his latest documentary, a very personal documentary, The House We Lived In. Joining Tim is the film's protagonist, his dad, Todd O'Donnell. A decade in the making, The House We Lived In documents Tim's efforts as a young filmmaker confronting addiction, family, and memory as he chronicled his father's journey to recover lost memories following a traumatic brain injury. Here's the trailer. upset you, but Dad's in the emergency room. They, t- quite, they don't quite know what's wrong with him. They're doing everything. He's conscious. He passed out this morning on the floor or something. But uh, I, I don't want you to freak out, but you might want to, you know, you might want to come. Come on, Dad, open your eyes. Just once. Open your eyes. Come on, Dad. Ignition sequence starts. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Do you remember, like, me and Lulu and Aaron and TJ living in the house? your whole other life. We did lose a big part of dad. A lot of dad left when he fell. <laughs> what does it feel like when it comes back? Do you just all of a sudden remember it or? I think I had dreams. Oh, so your memories come back in the form of dreams? Maybe with time, I'll remember it and maybe the attachment to those times will be there. We had some good times for 20 years. It's a house where the kids grew up, but it's like a butterfly. I don't know if I can get you. Employing experimental approaches with projected installations, Tim O'Donnell attempts to find those missing memories in hopes of finding the dad he used to know. As memories return in the form of dreams, the family struggles with acceptance of this new version of their father. The House We Lived In will be featured at the Newburyport Documentary Film Festival on Sunday, September 18th. For more information about the festival, visit the Newburyport Documentary Film Festival website. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and share. Now on to my conversation with Tim O'Donnell and Todd O'Donnell. 
Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, Tim and Todd O'Donnell. Tim is the director of a new documentary called The House We Lived In. And Todd O'Donnell, in addition to being Tim's father, is the film's protagonist. So, Tim, I want to start out just by asking you for a uh, synopsis uh, of the film's sort of um, plot and through line. Yeah, th- thanks so much for having us on. Uh, it, it's an honor to be back uh, on the podcast. And uh, yeah, this is, film is very different. You know, it's a, it's a film that took 10 and a half years. It's a documentary that chronicles my dad, Todd's um, traumatic brain injury and his recovery from it, in which we discovered he lost chunks of memories of the house we grew up in uh, and then the game of golf. And so the film uh, kind of kicks off early on with this um, this big lofty goal of trying to recover lost memories. And as the film develops, uh, you get a sense of the family trying to adjust to the new version of Todd. Uh, so there's there's quite a few themes uh, and you get to see Todd's journey uh, over a decade. Early on in the film, uh, you make reference to the uh, the video camera that you're using at the time to to shoot with. And I, I know you shot a lot on an iPhone. You mentioned that in the film. But you mentioned how your dad gave you that camera. And uh, there's wonderful you know usage of a lot of what would be family archival uh, footage that that had been collected. Um, so this is really a question for either one of you. Um, how important was the role in your family of like using a video camera to document gatherings and birthdays and parties and such? Well, I'll take that question on. Um, based on what happened to me, and obviously we can't go back in time, but uh, it is my conception that I wouldn't have got the memories back on some things without having a, an aid and the tapes uh, of my son's wrestling and family gatherings and stuff like that gave me um, sort of a sense of a library to go back and to see things and to, to gyrate uh, some memories. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the journey uh, you're always on because brain injury uh after 10, 11 years is probably what I'm going to get. And it's probably going to go the other way because of the age. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I feel very fortunate to be able to come back, to try to help people and basically to try to um, reestablish, if you will, my ties with my family and my grandkids and my wife. And Todd, how old are you now? I'm 71 71, you look fantastic. I know that our listeners can't see you, but uh, you look strong and vigorous and and considering everything that you've been through. So 71. So you were just about 60 or so when the uh, when you, I, I, when you fell. Uh, that's correct. I was 60 years old. And, um, you know, uh, we went down to watch my oldest son, Russell, and um, came back about one in the morning and I uh, went to bed and got up around six. And I must have had a vasovagal episode or something. I, I I hit my head on my bureau, which knocked me out like a, uh, a boxer's punch. And then I went down like a sack of potatoes and hit the rail of the bed. And um, from there, I was basically dead. And my wife uh, revived me when she got up about 10 minutes later. So um, 
from that journey on uh, is kind of like started my new life. Mm -hmm. And in the immediate aftermath of your fall, you were in a coma for eight days. Uh, Tim, you begin the film with a a voicemail message that your mom leaves for you. uh, And you can tell she's walking that balance between wanting to inform you and and not wanting to alarm you. Um, I'm wondering, in your mind, when did the possibility of documenting um, your dad's both injury and recovery and then long journey back. When did that begin to feel like um, almost a uh, therapeutic device for, for, for you to deal with this? Yeah. I, and my dad referenced the wrestling tournament and, you know, it's, it's wild because we're all together the day before he fell and you see it in the film and we're filming, you know, because it's a wrestling tournament or, you know, family fun, my brother wrestling, and so it, it, it almost began the day before the fall, you know, this moment that we, cause we hadn't been doing that a lot, you know, years go by as you get older, um, you, you, the family doesn't get together as much. So it was almost that moment of reflection of what used to be. And then the brain injury happens and we're thrusted into this moment of, you know, life changing and being in the ICU and just waiting and it, it began there with an iPhone uh, as maybe a little bit of a, a, a way out, a way of dealing with it. The camera kind of helps, you know, make it less real, a little bit of escapism. And then he wakes up and I just start filming, um, which ethically is a question mark, uh, especially when you think about somebody who's unconscious that never said, OK, you can film me. Obviously, I know my dad. And I, my, you know, we, we all talked as a family um, and what turned out to be just filming uh, maybe for myself uh, turned out to be helpful for Todd. I brought my laptop laptop in and would look at footage on down moments when he was a little frustrated because he couldn't move uh, at times. It was just blinking. So, you know, week by week we'd say, Hey, look, look, look what happened last week. You weren't moving your arms. Now you're kind of moving them a little bit. So, that, that was that phase. And then as he was getting discharged, you know, an incredible recovery at Spalding rehab, you know, we're talking 60 plus days at a, at a, the best facility ever, you know, you can go to, um, we decided to make a short film to help others understand and also to help fundraise because, uh, he couldn't work. He couldn't drive. Um, we lost the house that we grew up in. Uh, it was foreclosed upon. So, um, there was lots of financial issues. So we made a short film called no quit. And that, that I think moment of sharing it was a bit of what was possible, um, for the future, the longer version of the film. Um, so I think it was baby steps with the film and with my dad. Uh, and I think, I just never stopped picking up the camera. There's always a reason to pick up the camera, whether it was for him or more for me mm-hmm. uh, or my family. Uh, so you mentioned the house and obviously the, the the house plays prominently in the title of the film, the house we lived in. And then this house was in um, Hudson, New Hampshire. Uh, how far mm-hmm. along in the process were you before you discovered that the house could serve as kind of a metaphor uh, for, for some of the subjects that you were looking to touch on? Yeah, I think, um, I think we always kind of circle back to the house, you know, whether it was my dad's, you know, trying to get those memories back. Um, just us, you know, it was such a, it's such a pivotal thing. Like he, the brain injury marks the loss of the house, the loss of like 
innocence or something, or, you know, what, what we had, you know, it's just very delineated line. Um, but I think for me, it might be obvious to so many people that watch this film and hear the story. It took a while. It took a while of, of looking at footage and putting it together to circle back to that metaphor. Cause there was lots of themes that kind of ran through and the film's title changed. Uh, Michael, you saw an early cut and I think the name of the film was different, you know? So uh, it, it's been a journey, even the last three years of, of this film, the film has changed quite a bit. Um, but I, I think uh, for me that, that the house represents um, quite a few more things than the physical uh, space that uh, was the house, you know, I think, and I, I, you know, I think hopefully for folks watching this film, um, because it touches on some universal themes, I think there's a lot of room to put in your own version of what the house means, what that loss is, what that acceptance is. So um, yeah, it, it, it definitely came a lot later in the film. And, you know, for a film that is filled with really powerful scenes, a particularly powerful sequence, Todd, is is when you go back to the house uh, with Tim and one of your other sons. Um, Now, having seen the completed film and having watched yourself revisit the house, does that event stand out differently to you and does it continue to uh come into greater clarity as time passes well um i still um am foggy about my uh other life uh the house uh yeah it's like you remember because you've been in it and you've seen the film and you remember that that was your house and you were there and the family was around you and stuff like that. But, um, to stick out like emotionally and everything, uh, I, I don't get because of the brain injury. I don't have, uh, the emotion mm-hmm. as people would think on certain things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've just had to live with that. And it's easy for me to live with it because, I'm in, in my own special world, but it's hard for my son and my family and friends to look at it and, and find that I can't remember sometimes their name. I didn't remember playing golf. I played for 50 years. Uh, it took a slow process uh, of being able to visualize myself in that house. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still... We go by the house now and the people have put a lot of money into it. It looks wonderful and, and everything, but it's just a house to me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in, in, in the um, consultations and work that you all have done with with therapists and with um, neurologists, do you have any uh, insight into the types of memories that the brain, I'm not going to say chooses, but tends to recall versus those that it doesn't? Or is it is it does it vary in case to case? Well, I think what what transpires is you go into a place uh, that you're comfortable with and they always ask you, are you happy in your space? Uh, Obviously, because if you're not in your brain injured, that could be a problem. But uh, I am. um, I live very simple. I enjoy basically my life. Um, Do I fall into places that uh, I should uh, remember? 
yeah, you probably should remember the house. You should remember your family, this and that. But to be honest with you, um, the therapist tell me and tell those that are brain injured that you have to let happen what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if each day is a little better than the last, you made progress. Mm-hmm. I'm going to also add that, you know, we, it's not in the film, but we interviewed a lot of, um, you know, mm-hmm. experts mm-hmm. in, in memory loss and memory recovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we live in the Boston area, so we had access to quite a few, you know, folks that are kind of at the leading edge uh, at Harvard, you know, at some of the biggest hospitals. And the clear answer is they don't know. That's just like unequivocally, like look at all the brain injuries. There's it's all this data that they have. There is no explanation for why my dad can remember so sharply all these things that occurred in the seventies, all these specific memories, and then just a complete fog of 20 years of living in loss. You have uh, 300 billion brain cells. And when something like this occurs, which ones are damaged, which ones were severed, they don't know. So when they start to grow back, it's kind of like uh, grass or a plant. You don't know, it, it just it just grows. And hopefully that it keeps um, vividly have myself having memories. Like sometimes I dream <clears throat> and it, it's like uh, two or three shows in one where I see a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And uh, but after 10 years, they say basically that you're uh, leveling out plateauing. Yeah, it's very interesting in the film where there is a sequence where you actually you, you talk about how memories begin to revisit you through dreams. It's almost like your subconscious is preparing your conscious reality, uh, you know, for these memories. Has that tendency continued? Um, I have, sometimes I have dreams and stuff, but, um, it's very hard for me when I wake up and if I don't think about it right away, it's gone in about a minute or two Mm -hmm. because I don't know if that's just my age or how hard I hit my head, uh, or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I tend to live in the moment. So if it's gone, it's gone. It doesn't affect me emotionally. And what a, what a wild thing. Cause I know the feel, I'm sure everyone's had this feeling of like, you know, you have like a really impactful dream, you know, like it's, you, it feels so real and we all do it. We wake up and we do something. We're like, Oh, what was that dream? Right. And some people keep dream journals, but it's wild that that's my dad's past. Like sure. that's a memory, like not always, but like it could be literally like a past memory that is that dream. So it's just, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, like what we mean when we talk about memories, because there's, you can remember the sort of the logistics of the thing. Like, yes, I lived at that house with that address, but Todd, to your point earlier, uh, you mentioned not having an emotional attachment uh, you know, to a particular memory. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Most of the time when we, when we talk about memories, we're really talking about the emotion that we felt when an event was taking place. Yeah. And it, it really doesn't, um, affect me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it affects me differently than other people. Right. Uh, let me just give you an example of something that I should have showed, 
I did show emotion, but afterwards I just said, that's the way the world goes. And that was my sister. She passed away from um, stage four pancreatic cancer that metastasized. And uh, she had her hospice at home uh, in Andover and at her house. And we went over and I was emotional there because, you know, I was basically looking at myself. She had no hair and she looked just like me. So I was looking at myself. Yes. And uh, I I was very emotional uh, during periods there. But it's like I told her, I said, um, you've you've flown into a place, you have a layover. And when you catch the next plane, you're going to go straight up. Mm -hmm. So I was walking out of the room and she looked at me, she says, I don't want to miss that last plane. (laughs) Yeah. And then after that, you know, you feel a little sad. But after that, I just think it's just a passing. It's it's just another way of life. We're all on that same road. But we really don't know where the stop's going to take place. Yeah, that, that that is so true. It's almost it's almost like you've been outfitted with this um, kind of unique stoic perspective in the aftermath. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, it's it's been neat. You know, I think for Todd's journey, uh, not only just his uh, self-preservation perspective and like all the benefits we've got as family, just being around this guy. But now he's been able to be a brain injured advocate and has been doing motivational speaking and talking to so many different groups, not just in the brain injury community, but outside of that. So you're totally right, Michael. It's like, he's been gifted, geared up for this, like kind of new thing, you know, and he's been doing it for a decade now, you know, because when we put out the short film, ESPN did an adaptation of it and that helped kind of create a bit more visibility for him. Uh, and then he has the short film early on to kind of show uh, his story and then connect with people in a, mm-hmm. in a very uh, amazing way. You know, when I was watching the film, one of the themes that kept coming through for me was around the the level of trust that had to exist, Tim, uh, within your family uh, in order for you to pull this off in the sense that, you know, um, you've got uh, two sisters and a brother. You've got a mother. I'm sure you've got extended family and you've you've got the star of the show here, your, your dad. But you, the story is being told with their involvement, but through your perspective. And not only that, through your imagination when it comes to the recreations and how those are used. So talk to me a little bit about um, how you communicated your objective for the film with the rest of your family members. Yeah. There's lots of like moments. I think it goes back to my parents kind of creating a family dynamic that is open and we've had lots of hard conversations. Um, you know, uh, we've been lucky to kind of open our house early on that same house that we lost to so many friends and family. Sometimes people crashing for a couple nights, like it was just an open door policy. Um, and I think through all that, that kind of prepared us for this big challenge. And then the creation of this film, um, because as you know, as, as all the listeners know, something like this happens and it can totally divide a family, mm-hmm. um, even the best families out there, you know, it's 
we're very lucky for whatever reason we were able to get through this stay together and then you have somebody like me that's like hey i want to make a film about it and there's been plenty of intimate documentaries where you see the family fall apart you know um relationships dissolve like it, making a film is is its own kind of beast um and so there was lots of surprises along the way especially when i called my family and i said hey I've been having these recurring dreams about the old house and I've decided to cast actors to play you in these dream depictions that can just totally like push somebody overboard yeah. with like, what, what is going on? So, um, yeah, you know, uh, I think it's been a lot of communication. It, it, you know, you get to see the final film. There are things that we've withheld, uh, that we decided as a family, we did not want out there or we did not want to use, you know, and it also goes back to the best film possible. Sure. You know, I don't know if that made the best film possible. My family trusted the process. There was at one point, uh, three and a half years ago, three years ago, where I showed the first cut to my family and that was over three hours long. The film now is 83 minutes and very, hopefully very watchable, but you know, they've, yeah. they've had a, a very unique place because they're not just, subjects they've also been behind the scenes they understand at this point my family's very supportive of all the films i've gotten to do they go to all the film festivals uh not not just this film other films and so they get it and so they've been along for the ride and i mm -hmm. think if you have that trust but there has to be that that back and forth tension almost of testing it because if i just waited and tried to show them the final final or made all the decisions without talking to them. I think that would have been problematic, but like that back and forth, you know, of like, and then sometimes testing myself, mm -hmm. Hey, I went too far or that's, that's not right. Or that's a different direction. Um, my, my siblings and my parents have also kind of like helped me, help me with that. Todd in, um, you know, you, you display so much trust in, in Tim as a son. And I think as a filmmaker too, um, it, just in terms of how vulnerable you allow yourself to be and how open and honest in, in the film, um, how did that feel for you? And, and what role did did trust play for you when you were, you know, basically agreeing to um, show yourself being depicted going through your recovery, but also revisiting aspects uh, of your own life, uh, your struggles with uh, various addictions, um, et cetera? Tell me the role that trust played for you in all of this. Well, I don't know if it was trust. I just wanted to be open mm -hmm. uh, because this is life. You can't go back. It's like cooking. If you go too far, you can't go back and get it rare. You're yeah. stuck with it. So the way I look at it is if I, um, if I open up and let people know, I may help people. <clears throat> I mean, I, you know, a lot of people are only uh, may come across one addiction in their life, but I'm luckily to have all of them. So <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's like a candy store and Just come in and take what you want. Got a Whitman <laughs> sampler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but sampler. And that, so with that question, do you, do you think now without the brain injury, would you have that level of openness? Do you think it's a byproduct a bit from your brain injury? Or do you think the brain injury doesn't affect that, that sort of decision to be open? Uh, that's a good question. Because I can't relate to my past, I only can relate to it through memories if they come back. 
I don't really know, but uh, I've always been open. I, you know, quit smoking 40 years ago and drinking and uh, because I wanted to have kids and I wanted to have a life. And, you know, along the way, being a salesman, you're always uh, you're, you're always a type A person. Sure. So I, I just like the action. And it's it's just the way it is in life. You know, I've never not spoken to anybody. I am open, probably too open because I have no filter because of the brain injury. And my son, especially my oldest son, he kind of watches me and lets me know that you can't do that. But obviously I forget it. Sure. And uh, so I I think that it probably does. um, um, The brain injury has given me a new perspective on the way my life is and what I have to do or should have done in the past. But like I say, um, I, I know that my space in this, this world is limited, you know, how many more years I have no earthly idea. So I'm going to try to do the best I can. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, all you have is time left. So you might as well do the best you can. There's this, there's this quote from uh, Kierkegaard that I was thinking about when I saw your movie, it said, life can only be understood backward, but must be lived forward. And I like that. Yeah. And when I was you make reference to it in the film a couple of times, and I can't remember if you actually say this, you know, directly, but you seem to imply that, you know, the 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 past is almost like this foreign country that you lived there for a while. You kind of remember it, but you don't live there anymore. And in, in right. there's a way to look at that in terms of loss, but there's also a way to look at it in terms of opportunity and fresh starts. Yeah. I, I think that um, I had a fresh start. Well, I was thrown back a couple of times, you know, when, there's eight, eight days or seven days or whatever, and there's no brain activity. They're telling everybody's brain dead. So you got to pull the plug. And then I, I wake up and it was probably myself having an opportunity, not so much as to change everything, but to be able to help people in certain areas with certain things. Right. And I've, um, you know, I headed up a brain injury committee at Spalding and uh, for f- for four years, um, we helped about 500 people. And that was very rewarding uh, because when you go into a brain injured thing, everybody there is brain injured, but the people around it, the caregivers and the family, they're totally in in shock. They don't know what to do. So um, that's satisfying. And, and, And in the other thing, you know, it's a new world and I have a new opportunity, but they teach you in brain injury, you, you tend to fall back into the things that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And whether you remember that or not, it just, just happens. And so I'm perfectly content with my life and uh, I love my family. Uh, Tim has done an outstanding job, uh, not only at documenting this, but other things for other people and exposing to some degree, um, the path that maybe they want to move forward. It's just a learning tool 
Yep. And it's a learning tool about maybe looking at yourself. Right. So, Tim, as as we know, as listeners to Making Media Now know, since you've joined us a, a few times before uh, to talk about other films, you know, you're an accomplished and experienced filmmaker. I'm wondering with a film that is so close, how do you tell yourself, OK, it's done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's always tough. I think like, you know, in this podcast, obviously, uh, has such a great continuum of creators and whether it's a film, a podcast and anything, right. It's where, where's that line where, you know, where you can be okay with it and just put it out and be done. And so this film of course has that, that problematic thing. And it's been funny because I thought I was done so many times along the way. There's literally a folder. I, uh, you know, selfishly or whatever you want to call it, uh, labeled last day of filming, literally like within the hard drive last day of filming. And that was in 2013. Yeah. So, so, you know, like it's, but I think I needed, I needed to think that way in order to keep going because if I like Todd, you know, I've learned from Todd, like if I said I was going to do a 10 and a half year long film, it would have felt too big. Sure. And so I got to make other films along the way. I got to make a bunch of other features, short films, different subject matter. And hopefully every time I've been bringing that back to this film. Yeah. And, um, I think the answer, finally answer your question. I think it just took a lot of other voices and other eyes such as yourself giving advice on cuts so you know other the other producers that are on the film my wife you know um, my business partner john you know there's so many people that put a, a huge amount of effort into this film um and you know made made hard choices you know and so i think it was the balance the tension of me doing certain things but also so many others coming back with perspective and, you know, it, it just, it, from what began as, as like one, you know, smaller thing turned out to be so many people helping with this film, mm-hmm. uh, and really going for it creatively, I think. So, um, yeah, it was a nice balance of inside the house and outside the house voices. Yeah. It's just closure. And, you know, I'll bring up one thing. I really haven't looked at myself and I'm looking at myself on this computer <laughs> and, I, I really, I, I don't know. I know it's got to be me, but in looking at it, you know, it's not your age that shows it just stops in between. And by looking at my face and everything like this, I, I look like a roadmap. So um, it's just life, I guess. But well, we I, tend to look at ourselves with unforgiving eyes, too. Well, I, I remember living in my 40s. Yeah. And that would be 31 years ago or about. And maybe I want to be back there mentally, uh, but physically, as we all know in life, the road, when it stops, it stops. Yes, it does. So you just have to continue down the road. And if you have a couple flat tires, you just got to try to fix them and move on. It's very true. So being the type of guy that sits through movies to the very last roll of the credits, Tim, I got to ask you, I noticed you make reference in the in the credits to uh, transcendental meditation. 
Yeah, yeah. Tell me the connection. Uh, and you also make reference to David Lynch, and I'm wondering, is it the David Lynch? Because I know he's big into TM. He is, yeah. Um, I, I, so I had my own struggles with mental health during this film. Uh, no surprise. <laughs> um, and the, the, my family preparing me to be open, and then also my wife Allison being so um, thoughtful and and supportive allowed me to, to start to engage in therapy sessions to literally talk about this film, which, um, is a wild concept, you know, but, mm -hmm. uh, I think part of that also helped in so many sides of my life, because while I was filming, I don't think I was actually dealing too much with what was going on. So I think my, uh, tr whatever you want to call it, trauma, response, how it was affecting me was delayed a little bit because I was putting so much time and energy into the film. Sure. So developing the film, not, not developing my own emotions and how I felt. So that helped me along the way negotiate, you know, and just the idea of therapy, it's like, you know, I have a broken foot right now, actually I broke my foot. Uh, and I'm going to do the things I need to, to get medical help. Right. I'm going to go see a doctor. I've got a boot on. Um, I'm going to go to physical therapy after it's going to be great, but we don't do that a lot with mental health. And it's silly right. because why just walk on a broken foot? Uh, so it made me obviously so much better. Uh, and, and it was a lot of help. And it, I literally brought, bring scenes into the fit, the things I was editing into the therapy sessions and talk about it wow. and unpack that. Um, and so transcendental meditation helped, at, uh, at a certain point when I needed something that I could do anywhere, um, to just kind of, um, get back balance. So, uh, transcendental meditation is something you can do. Uh, just sitting here, you know, um, in a dark, you know, room or wherever. And it only takes, you know, de depending on your practice, five to 20 minutes twice a day is what they recommend. I don't, I don't, I don't keep up with that, but I, it's a toolbox I have. So I go back to it, you know, I'm always doing it every year. Uh, some years I do it more, some years I do it less. And of course that, um, it kind of comes back to David Lynch, who's my hero, my, one of my favorite filmmakers. And, you know, I was, I was lucky when I was going to this particular meditation spot that they, um, you know, they, they had a really good relationship with David Lynch and, and had conversations with him about our film and, uh, which was neat, you know, and I, I don't know if he's seen it, but that's okay. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta give credit. And, uh, I think, um, also having a artistic experimental voice that has done so many films over the years and stayed true to what, 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 what kind of art he's making, I think, uh, allows others, you know, um, to, to feel okay about doing some things that feel weird <laughs> and sure. outside the box for, for maybe documentary. Um, and just being like, that's okay. Cause that's, that's where I'm, I'm being driven right now for this particular moment. So, uh, yeah, all tools, man, all tools. Well, you know, you've made, you've made such a powerful, uh, film, uh, that touches, I think just so well on so many levels, you know, there's, it's a story about, you know, fathers and sons. It's a story about uh, uh, an enduring marriage that, you know, is obviously faced with a challenge. It's the story of this one individual, uh, you know, rebuilding himself from uh, a 
a mysterious and very serious event. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is the house, excuse me, it is the house we lived in. And for listeners in the greater Boston area, the film will be shown at the Newburyport Documentary Film Festival, which will be running from September the 16th to the 18th. Uh, You can check out their website to get a rundown of the films and times. And then, Tim, uh, where can people go to to find out... um, where else they can see the film and then maybe to keep track of, you know, what may be its eventual rollout on streaming services or in theaters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to see everyone at the screening. We're closing night on Sunday, uh, September 18th. So me and Todd will both be there too for a special uh, Q and a, uh, and I know, um, we both would love to meet any and everyone there. Uh, yeah, moving forward, feel free to check out the house we lived in.com or our main site, pixella films.com. Uh, they have that has, uh, my dad's film on there and, and several others. So that's kind of the, the house for all those. Um, and yeah, we're excited to start, um, engaging in educational, uh, screenings, um, uh, for the next, uh, you know, calendar year or so. Uh, so we're, we're excited to, to start touring the film, uh, with different groups and, and different organizations. Well, Tim O'Donnell and Todd O'Donnell, thanks so much for sharing your time. Thank you for sharing this film. And uh, Todd, I look forward to meeting you in person at the film festival. And Tim, it'll be great to catch up. And I got to hear the story about this broken foot. But uh, thank you both for your time. Okay, thank you for having me and being able to uh, talk about not only my journey, but when people see the film, it's going to be their journey.